0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to MCU Fan Show, episode 257. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of Miss Marvel, episode 6, No Normal, directed by Adil and Bilal, teleplay by Will Dunn and A.C. Bradley and Matthew Chauncey, story by Will Dunn, Miss Marvel was created for television by Bisha K. Ali, and it is a Kevin Feige production. Before we finish up our spoiler review series for Miss Marvel, want to let you know about Fan Show Plus, where you can hear us talking about extra MCU news, whether that's what we expect from Marvel Studios at Comic-Con this weekend, or Alden Ehrenreich joining the Ironheart Disney Plus series, you can find that on the podcast that is exclusive to premium subscribers at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, or on Apple Podcasts if you go to the MCU Fan Show channel or just search for Fan Show Plus, you can find it there and subscribe so you can get those exclusive podcasts. And we also invite you to follow us in those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram and Twitter. And if you're enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you over on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much to everyone who's already taken the time to share their thoughts. And now on with our show. How you doing, Paul Herman?
1: I am doing well, my friend. I uh, I'm just uh, I'm in shock. Last uh, last week's episode was a, a bit of a shock. You know what I mean? It's just kind of was not expecting to hear uh, something we'll talk about later. But yeah, I, I'm just gonna let everyone know off, off the bat that I was. It took me by a complete surprise
0: what I heard. Completely. Same here. And so uh, I uh, you know. I watched the episode. I think I actually stayed up until midnight and I watched the show when the finale dropped on Disney Plus and I was expecting what we saw in the mid-credit scene or at least who we saw in the mid-credit scene but before we even got to that the whole one week later bit at the end of this episode was not necessarily something that I saw coming or at least a revelation I did not expect quite so soon but there it is and even after we uh we heard that word that starts with m and and a little bit of music to go with it i was still like did i hear what i thought i heard and does that really mean Mm -hmm. what i think it means or is this just a a red herring that's ultimately going to lead somewhere else is this another ralph boner situation is really what i was trying to get to the bottom of yeah and, uh, but it didn't feel like that. And in the interviews yeah. that have followed the premiere of this episode, it doesn't sound like that. It sounds like this is, we heard what we heard and it means what we think it means, at least as much as we can figure that out at this point. But that's all the way at the end of the episode. We have an entire episode of Miss Marvel to go through before that. And we do plan on, on giving this episode. Uh, It's proper time and attention because I loved this episode and it felt so good to be able to love this episode because as uh, our listeners may recall, we had some issues with the uh, we had some issues with the with the second to last episode, the penultimate episode last week, not the beautiful first half flashback telling us the story of Kamala Khan's uh, great grandparents, all of that stuff. Was absolutely fantastic, but where we were wondering what we were wondering in how it would impact this finale, though, is what happened after when we came back to the present and the clandestines were very, very quickly shoved off the board in this story. And you know, we noted that, and even in subsequent interviews, uh, since the finale aired, kind of goes along with what we were saying, and that yeah, that storyline really was truncated. For, uh, for whatever various reasons, but nevertheless, uh, here we are, and uh, it, it made me wonder whether or not the finale would be able to recover from that. Was it going to try too hard to make Kamran a villain, or even if they weren't going to go that route, would they be able to elevate damage control beyond where they had been and at this point in the series, and, and really be able to make them a satisfying primary antagonist to focus on in the finale? I didn't know if they had really properly, didn't feel like they had properly laid the foundation for that, but whatever the case may be, somehow they still pulled it together in this finale, and it was incredibly satisfying for me anyway, and and certainly more satisfying than I went in expecting it, and it it really delivered in the areas that count the most, and and I'm not just talking about an exciting word at the end of the show or a a great mid-credit scene that was also exciting. All of those things were exactly what they should be. The bonus, you know, the cherry on top of, uh, of the delicious Sunday of this entire episode of Miss Marvel that, that really did a good job. This finale lived up to what the quality of this series has been for most of its run. And going back through uh, going back through it, I loved the first three episodes of this series and also still loved episode 4, even if it wasn't quite on that level. And loved a lot of episode five, even if there were some things that that really were uh, disappointing. So I wanted the finale to uh, to honor what had come before, and it did because we got some just fantastic family moments that we've become so used to in this series uh, over the past five and now six episodes. And then when it came time for Kamala Khan to shine as Miss Marvel in full costume and go in full superhero mode as she gets to in her confrontation with damage control at the end of this episode, all of that was every bit as great as I wanted it to be. So to uh, to borrow from Yousef Khan, magic, absolute magic. Uh, magic is the the operative M-word here uh, for this episode, not the other one that we'll talk about later on down the line. Uh, Paul, I love the finale. What'd you think?
1: I thought the finale was solid. I, I didn't love it as much as you did, but not not that I thought it was overly bad. It just didn't – it wasn't this um, – it wasn't the spectacle that I wanted. And I think that's kind of the, one of the things about these TV series for the most part that I have to get used to is that these finales are not going to be as the third acts of these films, right? The third, the film is, is obviously more condensed. It's going to have a lot of their budgets towards the end of the the third act and whatnot. And the third act of a, of a, you know, a six episode series or whatnot is going to be a lot different. And, you know, again, it's different medium, right? That's one thing I have to remind myself. And I think a lot of people have to remind themselves. This is not, a six hour movie, quote unquote, these are, you know, they have a start and end time and they are episodic and they end and you have to continue the story, you know, next. And there's different ways you can, you know, you can go about it. I think the the fifth episode is a great example of what I think the strength of a TV show can do as far as what you can do with it. Now, the ending was not the greatest. I think we and would both, you know, a lot of people would probably say a lot agree with that. But for the most part, the idea of the flashback and having to be a you know a good twenty-minute like sequence, you can't really do that necessarily in a film, right? So there's a lot of advantages you can have with a TV series as opposed to a film. That being said, I just the one big criticism for me is 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 again I didn't dislike it; it just didn't grab me. Where I was like, "This was awesome." It, it, I was like, "Oh, that was cool. That was fun." And I think that's what kind of sums up a lot of my feelings towards the latter half of this show. I think that the the strength of the show is ev- to me, and I think everyone I've seen online talk about it. And again, maybe I'm following all the right people. I don't know, but it seems like the home run aspect is the family. If all that stuff has just been like praised, and it's been you know the definitely the strength and the backbone of the series, and the spectacle hasn't always been. You know, a a, a high, high end delivery for a lot of people. And for me personally as well, Um, it's not been bad. It just hasn't been, you know, top tier where you're like, man, that was incredible. It was just kind of, oh, that was cool. Um, There's been plenty of great moments. Um, I think this this last episode for me. Just kind of, just it kind of adds to I think you know the difference between the films and, and, and I think the TV series. There's a lot more of a personal story you're telling, and I think that's a strength. You know, don't get me wrong. I think there is a lot of strength. So there's a lot, I think I think it's, it's a little bit messy in this area. So I think most of my complaints come with I think how they do the the high school sequence um, with everything when they're fighting damage control. That was probably what, it. Kind of lost me a little bit there. I thought that that was a little bit kind of long winded, but we can get into that later. But besides that, um, I, I loved everything. Everything with Kamala Khan and the family is just, is gold, man. It's gold. And it really is. Um, it was cool seeing a lot of this them together and them knowing her, her secret and how special that was. I, I, I don't know. I loved all of that, man. That, that, that to me is what makes this series so good. And, I, and that's why I will, I will recommend this to you know anyone who's kind of on the fence and say, listen, I'll tell them off the bat, the superhero stuff is not like top tier, you know, I mean, it's not bad, <clears throat> excuse me, but it's the family stuff that you're going to be like, oh, I love this. It's, it's so down to earth. It feels, it feels real in the world that they, that in the MCU and it relatable at the same time. It's what I think what's so, what's so important for these kinds of stories, when you're talking about superheroes and supernatural things and whatnot, what's so rad is that when you have something like this and you can make it kind of you know, it's an, it's a, a parallel to what happens in real life. Right. And with, with people in some ways, and you can relate to it. And I I think that Miss Marvel has tapped into something that, that a lot of just young, young girls. And I think young people in general can relate to and, and, and latch onto and identify with And And maybe some people can identify with that. I'm as a 40 year old man can identify with being in high school anymore, but at the same time, but I can remember the show a great job, (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I can, yeah, I can, I can remember. remember the, although
0: it gets it gets harder with each passing year. But I, I think that you're right in that I think there's value in and, and an advantage, right? And advantages and disadvantages yeah. to the series format and the movie format, where the movie definitely gets to deliver on the spectacle in a way that the series they're just not gonna get the same opportunity because they don't have budgets on the same level. Now every once in a while there is an action sequence that fools us. And what immediately comes to mind is episode one of the Falcon Winter Soldier. That helicopter chase with Falcon is movie level action. It is incredible, but we're not necessarily going to get that every time out. And actually with Miss Marvel, I thought this was right on par and whether or not it's satisfying to someone as a viewer is a, is a different conversation, but I guess I was satisfied by it because it matched what I expected based on the Miss Marvel comic books. And I know most of the people watching the series are not people who've read those comic books, but it wasn't about big action and big splash pages and stuff like that. It really was this core story of Kamala Khan, her family, her friends, and all of that. It was just plain smaller in scale, and she's a neighborhood-level superhero, and I thought that was the right way to showcase her in this moment. And I still felt like, even though it wasn't the biggest spectacle, it felt big in some ways. It felt big for her as a character and for her family, her community, watching her and uh, embracing her in that way. Uh, I absolutely loved that. I I thought that part of it is what made it so meaningful and so enjoyable to me as a viewer. But at the same time, yeah, it's, it's not the biggest Superhero spectacle or or anywhere close to it. But I do think Kamala Khan, who uh, will return in the Marvels, uh, is going to get those types of moments, obviously, in a project with a much, much bigger budget that's going to lend itself to uh, that spectacle. But let's get into the details of this episode. So uh, we're in the aftermath of that Circle Q explosion that we ended last week's episode with. Agent Deaver is standing there complaining about this is what happens when kids get powers and what a what a pain that is. Uh, and Deaver is going to be our main antagonist for the rest of this episode. Meanwhile, uh, we see that Kamran and Bruno, they are on the run. They have gone underground, literally on the subway. That doesn't work out. So we will have to catch up with them uh, when they are hiding later on in the episode. But basically, uh, Kamran is, is hiding from damage control. And of course, Bruno is helping him. Back at the con home, we talk about the family stuff. And boy, was it on the money here. I loved this because I thought the reality of it was very authentic and how they went about it. Kamala is ready to tell the rest of her family. Her mom already knows. She's ready to tell the rest of her family her father, her brother, her new sister in law that she is Nightlight or the Light Girl or whatever, still working on that name. And she's. Winding herself up for this big speech to reveal this about her, but remember, this is a family, and parents talk to each other about their kids. And so, Muniba has already spoiled it. She already told Yusuf that uh, that her daughter, that their daughter, is a superhero. And the reason why uh, Amir and his wife know is because uh, Yusuf, according to the the gossip train for the Khan family, Yusuf loves to talk on speakerphone. So the fact that they have this wind-up, like it's going to be this big revelation, and it becomes this very, very simple, kind of messy thing for how the information rolled out to everybody, but totally real and totally understandable, I absolutely love that, and certainly have family members who prefer to pretty much always be on speakerphone uh, when using their cell. Uh, So that part of it I thought was great, but what was really on the money uh, was an exchange between Yusuf and Kamala, uh, where he told her, Kamala, this is just so incredible. I, for one, I'm so proud of you. We are all in awe of you, but I just want to be sure that you're being careful out there. I mean, just because you can do all these amazing things doesn't mean that you're actually volunteering to go looking for trouble, and Kamala's response is perfect. I don't think you raised me to sit behind and do nothing when I can help people. Um, I love that. That exchange between the two of them, a father who just wants his daughter to be safe, uh, but at the same time... Uh, a, a daughter who's telling her father, you know, you raised me to not necessarily make the most selfish choice uh, and, and act in my own self-interest when I can be of service to others, uh, even understanding what that might mean for me. So to see just how simple and, and, and kind and sweet all of this was with some great, super inspiring superhero dialogue and, you know, Kamala just firmly knowing that she has the trust of her family at this point, which is a huge part of, of all she's ever wanted. Uh, this scene was a, a, a huge win for me in the finale.
1: Yeah, this is one of my favorite parts of the, I think the whole show is, I always, you know, when you think about teenage heroes, they're always hiding their secret identity from, identity from the family. And this is a great example. And I haven't got, I don't remember reading the comics as much where if this was in the comics where they know who she is or not, Sean, I have no idea. But, but either way, I love this whole sequence and I love the fact that this is very much again like everyone knows about it and it's this it's, it's, again it's a little bit different of a of a feel cuz you know I you know be, being a huge Spider-Man fan he hides his identity it's a big it's a big deal and this is the exact opposite of that it's like the other the other side of the coin if you will and I like that. And it was a really great dynamic to see the strength of your parents knowing and encouraging you and supporting you as this character. It was cool. It was really, very interesting. And I liked, I liked that. The whole family dynamic knowing about her was interesting, so... Um, I-, I loved it in Heartfelt. Um, again, this is the backbone, I think, of what makes this series so good. And it, it's, it did not disappoint. This was a fantastic, hilarious uh, sequence, and everyone just did a great job with it.
0: Yeah, and I love where they found the drama in the scene, right? They could have leaned on mm-hmm. the drama is going to be in the reveal, but instead they go with just the practical nature of this is kind of how families work and how families communicate, that once your secret's out with one member of the family, there's a good chance uh, that and you, you know, the plan mm. is for everybody to know eventually, then it's, it's probably going to get out faster than, than you would think. And, um, and so I, I like that they chose to find the drama elsewhere in the scene with just this very meaningful, uh, very sweet, but then also heroic, noble, inspiring exchange between uh, a father and daughter. And then as all of this is happening, uh, Naki, uh, Nakia is FaceTiming Amir to get to Kamala, to inform her what's going on with Bruno and Kamran, so she needs to help, but she goes up to her room, and then she is given her full-fledged Miss Marvel costume. Who does she get it from? She gets it from her mother, who says, this feels a bit more like you, uh, complete with the lightning bolt symbol, uh, symbol that Muniba saw in that broken necklace last week. I love that the costume is a gift from her mom. That's I unless I'm totally misremembering it, that's not the way it went down in the comic books because they didn't know that she was Miss Marvel at that point in time when she was putting on her costume. So um, that this is a gift from her mom. And it's the symmetry. It's bringing things full circle, right? When her mom was first trying to kind of reach out and connect with Kamala and offer some trust with the whole AvengerCon situation, what did she do? She made her daughter a costume. And it was the whole Big Hulk, Little Hulk thing with, uh, with Yusuf and as hilarious and sweet and then also heartbreaking that was when Kamala Khan rejected it for Muniba to still, this is part of how she shows her trust, how proud she is of Kamala, how much she loves Kamala, that, uh, and, and finding the costume that feels, as she says, a bit more like you. So not Little Hulk, but even though you don't have that name yet, uh, officially, Miss Marvel, this is your costume, this is you, this is my daughter, the superhero um, so that that being a gift from her mother is a is a great touch to how this uh, how this went down in the MCU.
1: Yeah, I had no idea if that's in you know or have no idea if that's in the comics either. and I loved, love that. I loved the just where the mom comes from in, in their relationship. It's again, it that's again like the strength of the show that they show you know her being opposing you know her her daughter. But really, I mean, in in a sense, she's very her daughter is very much like her, you know, and will do what she wants to do, and um, and and has won't regret or uh, not regret, but doesn't, doesn't think twice about it, you know, when she went and, uh, took on. Uh, Bon Jovi, uh, you know, on, yeah. our, on our little uh, tour, <laughs> you know, I mean, and seriously, I mean, I think I liked the fact that Which Bon that Jovi her, has now like
0: noted and shared with his Marvel connection and Muniba's Bon Jovi fandom. He's actually recognized that on his own social the past in the past week. So that's been pretty cool. Nice,
1: nice, nice, nice. Yeah. And and, and that's the thing for me is I, I think that that's I, I love the fact that they've gone and, and you've, you've really done a great job Developing this relationship so much that where she, you know, the, where the mom was the first, you know, did not even want to dress up for, uh, these, a, a con a convention, right now she's giving her a superhero costume and helping her become who she wants to become. And I just, I love that. Like, again, that, again, that, the parallels of a reality of being a parent and accepting your child, and embracing your child differences, even though you may not always agree with it, is a beautiful story in so many different ways. And I think that this story, again, what I love this. This is what these are why these stories are important, especially for children and for kids and for teenagers, is that it embodies and shows that, you know, where we can come from and it's how what we need to do as as people. So love this moment. Love it. Love it. Love it. It's fantastic.
0: Yeah, really great. And so then we cut to the mosque. This is where Bruno and Kamran are hiding out. Damage control has come looking, and Sheikh Abdullah is there as well as many others, and they know the drill, and they offer their identification. What they're also doing is stalling and standing in the way of damage control so they don't find Kamran and Bruno. Um, They're also offering cookies, which was nice. Cookies look bomb, by the way. I I wanted a cookie. I'm also just a chocolate chip cookie connoisseur. But anyway... Um, they, uh, as damage control is searching, we get some funny moments there, like Nakia, the pretending she was hiding them. And it's the dude she's hiding is like some boyfriend who's not really her boyfriend, but because she said it aloud, he's going to go ahead and he's going to take credit. Um, but I, I love the line that, uh, that Sheikh Abdullah gave, uh, to said to Kamran as he was uh, also giving directions to Kamran and, and Bruno for how to get to the school and, and continue, hiding out and staying away from uh, staying off the radar of damage control for as long as they can, uh, telling Kamran, and it's very important advice that Kamran needs in, in this moment, just because someone treats you as their enemy doesn't give you the right to treat them as yours. Um, very much, uh, I, I love that line and certainly creates a lot of things to, to think about in fictional and real-world applications, but uh, it was a great line in, in just in its place at this point in the story because it, it's definitely words that are, are helpful to Kamran, and even if he's not necessarily uh, fully present or if, it, if it's not at, at the top of mind as a lot of this stuff is happening, I do think some of that lesson takes root um, to provide a foundation for what uh, he and Kamala will discuss later uh, as the episode continues. Um, but then, as uh, you know, Kamala Khan was doing her light steps across town, and she catches up with Bruno and, uh, and Kamran in the alley. And so we get our full look at uh, Kamala Khan in her Miss Marvel costume. And it is just, uh, it's awesome. I-, I love this suit. It is lifted pretty much directly from the source material. It- it's just, it's such a great look, such a great design. Um, I mean, it was a great design in the comic books and been adapted pretty much perfectly here in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And there's some more plot stuff there. Obviously, Kamran's struggling to control his powers, so they're going to go hide out at the school, which is going to be you know our, our big action set piece uh, for this finale. Um, but the costume reveal, I mean, how she got it was probably the most meaningful costume step in the episode, but uh, just being able to see the costume. And thankfully, I mean, we've gone through, as we're talking about all these things that have happened so far, a lot of this stuff happens pretty fast, so we don't have to wait too long to get Kamala Khan in the Miss Marvel costume, and at least we get uh, she's wearing it pretty much for almost the rest of the episode, outside of a you know a few moments here or there. So while I, I wouldn't say the costume quota was completely satisfied, it pretty much can't be when you wait until the last episode to show the character in costume. At least we got plenty of it in uh, plenty of the Miss Marvel costume in this episode. And uh, and it looked great. They they nailed it.
1: Yeah, the costume was, I thought, really good. I, I've never been a super huge fan of the costume. I, I like the simplicity of it though. I don't think it's bad by any means, but yeah, the simplicity of the original design, I thought I, I think that's the one of the things I love about superhero costumes when they're very when they're simplified. When you try to overcomplicate things. I think, I don't, and again, I don't think everything should just be simple, but you can, it, when you do that, when you overcomplicate a costume, especially with, with any kind of superhero costume, it just becomes 90s really quick. And that's not always a good thing. I love me some 90s comic books and superhero designs, but just not for all of them. And so the Miss Marvel design, I thought, just translates so beautifully to the screen and that I, I thought it, it really looked good. I mean, lots of a, a lot of the close ups, it felt very practical. It didn't feel like it'd be something that she couldn't ha- achieve. It's not like, you know, the amazing Spider-Man or uh, the Spider-Man Tobey Maguire film. Oh, yeah. It's like he has this like top of the line suit. It's like, where the hell did yeah. he get this? He can't <laughs> you know? pay like, rent, but he's got a $30,000 least...
0: <laughs> $30, costume. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, ex- yeah. It's like, uh yeah. I did think that with the ASM series, I, I give credit to them that they at least kind of showed that he, you know, developed that a little bit. A li- you get to see that. I, I appreciated that. But that being said, with Miss Marvel, you want them to be more practical. This felt in, in in the best the best way possible. And and you know, again, it, it's a Marvel show. I thought the costume was pretty well done as far as explaining how it happens, you know, what it is. And it looks great. I thought it looked really good, but it didn't look overly like not something she could ever get in real life. And I, I think that's the, the biggest thing with these younger heroes. You've got to give them a costume that is believable for them to be able to achieve within re- reason. reason. Yeah. And I thought Miss Marvel's is completely within reason. And I like to the mask, the shoes, which I love me some cons. And, you know, just everything. I, I thought she looked great. I thought, it, I don't know what Marvel, I know that she has a different kind of costume in Marvel's, but I do love this costume a lot I think it's it's, it's an underrated costume of the MCU and maybe one of the better ones potentially is from ad- adaptation wise so um, from comic to screen I thought I thought it looked great I thought she looked great um, I think it's appropriate really good really looks looks good
0: yeah no I, I think it's just it's right on the money with uh, with this one and, and yeah one of the more pitch perfect or just closer adaptations from page to screen that we've seen as costumes go, although we've seen uh, a couple of those lately. I mean, certainly with the mighty Thor and Thor love and thunder. So it's becoming a trend, you know, some of these, co- I mean, I think the MCU has already done a, a pretty good job of being faithful to the looks of a lot of these characters, but um, they still find ways to to do it and maybe even improve upon it with some of these characters. And yeah, I just, I, I love the costume design. I think it came together uh, just so incredibly well. But um, at the school, Kamala checks in, uh, is making a call to check in with Kareem, because remember, he said last week, call me if you ever need me. She needs him sooner than expected. Uh, She's calling Kareem because she needs his help to get uh, Kamran out of there to safety. And there is a reluctance there because, well, Kareem is still one of the red daggers, and, uh, and Kamran is a clandestine, or at least the son of a clandestine, but... Kamala convinces Kareem to help out anyway, so the mission becomes getting Kamran to the harbor by midnight so that, with the help of the Red Daggers, he can escape to safety. But damage control already has the school surrounded, but thankfully for Kamala and Kamran, everybody is sticking around to help, even including a couple people we had no idea were going to be there. Zoe, who was there because, I guess, the theater room at the school is great for her lighting for her TikTok videos. Okay, fine um and Amir is there because why not even though he says uh that uh, his mother had sent him to look after uh Kamala yeah. that was a little uh not a little that was, that's just plain force yeah uh, that, that that's just plain yeah, force yeah, yeah uh we had an entire goes
1: school here guys the yeah window Come
0: which on. you know that part's fine I don't have any problem with that um I
1: I mean, like, that's the get him there. It's just like, come on. Well,
0: (sighs) I I think the where I have more of an issue with getting him there is is the reason why talking about, you know, oh, yeah, I got to look after Kamala. Although I guess you could say maybe he was lying about that and he was just being a protective brother on his own, because I don't necessarily think Munebo. Like the whole point of the beginning of the episode is the family trusts Kamala now. Um, so if they trust her, they're not necessarily needing older mm-hmm. brother to go watch after her, but then no matter how much uh, people trust you, we all need looking out for every now and again, I guess, maybe, I don't know, As it's, it's forced, but I also, I'm glad he was there because I feel like this, uh, you know, I, I feel like he didn't have as much, like her brother has been such an enjoyable character throughout this series, but has really kind of been pushed to the side just by the nature of, the last couple of episodes. So, if they have to have a uh, you know a half-hearted excuse or half-baked excuse to have him in there, it's fine. Uh, I, I noted it as it happened, but I was also like, "This is flimsy," but I'm kind of glad he's there. Um, they're all staying, and uh, and they also note that you know, damage control has not just gone after Kamala. Damage control has not just uh, you know, it, it's not just that they've gone after Kamran. They've been to the mosque multiple times, uh, even when they had no actual cause to be there. Uh, they've blown up the circle queue that, uh, that Bruno works at and lives above. So suffice to say, damage control has adversely impacted this community to the point where you can understand why it's not just Kamala Khan who wants to stand up to them. Um, but this isn't so much about fighting damage control as it is about distracting damage control so that Kamran could make his escape and get to the harbor uh, by midnight. And so what follows is, I I know you were talking about this earlier, and some of the stuff with the school going on uh, a little bit longer. The whole, I don't know, the the, the Scooby-Doo of it all, and like the, the shenanigans with the kids, it was totally just kind of it was a little, that part was a little weird for me. It didn't bother me that much, and I still mostly enjoyed it because of uh, a couple scenes that I'll I'll highlight, but, uh, you know, in between all of the, you know, chasing of the kids around the school, because I think Tonally where it was a little bit of a, it was a little difficult to track because, I mean, they opened the episode with a, a a disclaimer, right? That, you know, in this fictional story, there may be some scenes that are difficult for some viewers and all of that and you understand why, because it's kids being attacked in a school, and on its surface, or just at the mere mention of the idea, like, it definitely sounds pretty dark, right? Because you have this government agency that, or this group from a government agency that is acting under the orders of someone who is, in fact, as they've shown us at this point in the episode, defying the orders of her own superior, because Agent Cleary has told her not to cause an issue here not to pursue this and and whatever and to actually hold back. Well, Agent Deaver is disobeying that order and going rogue with this entire team and sending them after kids and hunting kids in a school. And it is violent. Like when they get when the kids get attacked, like they get hit. And so it's it's a little tough to tonally reconcile what's actually happening here with some of the silliness in the way that they play it. So it doesn't necessarily there is a little bit of a tonal mismatch there that I bumped up against. It wasn't, it didn't override it. It didn't prevent me from uh, enjoying the scene and even being able to laugh at some of the sillier moments of it. So I, I, I certainly understand combining the lightness and the, and the darkness, and that's just life and and all of that. And the MCU normally does such a great job of balancing things that are just so uh, on such opposite ends of the tonal spectrum. Um, but this one maybe not quite as good of a job, but as I mentioned before, there were scenes that made it work. Like I really like the scene between Zoe yes. and, uh, and Nakia where Nakia is wondering like, well, if you knew it was Kamala since Avenger like why didn't you tell anybody? And uh, Zoe just saying, because she saved my life and she gets to, and she's basically Kamala deserves to tell people when she's ready, which is correct on the part of Zoe. So well assessed on, on her part. Um, and also that, you know, that uh, reflects what happened in the comic books where Zoe kind of started out as the popular girl who was kind of the bully and then, you know, being saved by Kamala Khan or being saved by Miss Marvel, she ends up kind of turning a corner and, and being, you know, a force for good within her community. And so I, I liked that moment, not just because, oh, that's kind of like what happened in the comic books. It It did feel very genuine that you have a character that you make certain assumptions about just because of. The nature of her social media presence or whatever it may be, but, you know, come to find out that, and this is not saying that, you know, Zoe wasn't making missteps or something like that, but, you know, that deep down there was a, you know, certainly a, a good person there who recognized when somebody else did something for her and, and responded accordingly um, in the way that she protected Kamala's identity. And it almost made me wish that we had seen more of Zoe in the series and and, you know, seeing her go through that decision making process. But then again, I like the idea that maybe it wasn't a process that she just knew the right thing to do was to protect Kamala's identity. If she wants to tell me or talk to me about it, she can. If she wants to tell anybody else or talk to him about it, she can. Um, but it's certainly not my story to tell. Um, and I'm I'm grateful to this pert And I'm, I'm not going to tell it because I'm a it's not it's the right thing to do is not tell a story that isn't mine. Um, but also, you know, to honor and, and be grateful to the person who saved me. So that part I, I liked a lot.
1: Yeah, the, the high school stuff, as I said before, n- not really feeling it for the most part. I I like the idea of I liked everything about the episode, I think, except with the exception of the execution of the high school stuff. It felt a little cluttered for me and a little kind of just thrown together. Like well, we got to we got to make this kind of more fun and and, and but. I don't know. I, I've wanted. To kind of, I like the fact that you know, obviously Kamala is the one organizing everything, but I kind of wanted her to be more in the forefront of defending everything. And it felt like again a way to maybe save budgetary reasons to basically do the same thing you could have done later on the episode, but just kind of stall it a little bit. And that's what it felt like. Again, it's my opinion. wasn't terrible because, like you said, there's, there are some good quiet moments with everybody. That I think are kind of important for these coming-of-age stories, especially with a superhero thing like this. Um, it definitely is kind of running gag. It seems like everyone knows that Kamala is Miss Marvel at this point, except uh, except so. Nakia.
0: So like everybody up, because the other thing is like everybody else kind of knew almost right away. And well, I guess not everybody, right? I mean, her family didn't know that that was her. Um,
1: yeah.
0: But you know, Zoe knew, and and maybe maybe. I don't know. Maybe the reason why Zoe would be able to identify that in a way that maybe others wouldn't is because she didn't know Kamala and well enough to assume that that wouldn't be her. You know, maybe that's the case is that you know her family and some yeah. of her I mean Bruno was kind of right there so it's a little bit different but for those who weren't right there when it happened like her her parents, her brother uh, and her other best friend and in, in uh Nakia like yeah, they don't they don't see it cuz they just Assume they already know who Kamala Khan is, and, and there's no way that's her. But yeah, it, it was a little, you know, whatever. It was a little interesting in how, uh, you know, who knew and who didn't and when. But um, I also like the scene, you know, between Kamala and, and Kamran, and they're holding hands as they're hiding from damage control and as they're uh, sharing their feelings about one another. They're about to kiss. And then, of course, uh, Bruno comes in and, and interrupts, not that he intended to interrupt the kiss or anything. He didn't know that was about to happen until he actually saw it. He was coming through to provide the update on uh, what was happening with the status of the mission. And uh, meanwhile, uh, Kamran is reluctant to accept the help from a red dagger, as Kamala has explained to him the plan. And he wants to know what happened to his mother. And there's been this debate of whether or not Uh, they should tell Kamran the truth about what happened to his mother. Of course, she died in uh, the last episode. And as this frustration is all playing out, uh, Kamran is defending himself against these damage control agents, but he's doing so in a way where he's starting to use his powers more aggressively. Um, He blasts one agent, and then when he's going after another one, Kamala actually blocks that and protects the damage control agent. Um, and Kamala is trying to explain what happens, but the more she says without actually saying it, the more Kamran understands the, the truth, uh, the tragic truth that his mother is dead. Um, and so, uh, which he's probably suspected all along, but it becomes clear to him that this is uh, what's happened. And through all of the emotion that he is dealing with, these newfound powers being chased by these uh, damage control agents... And of course, having it confirmed for him that his, that his mother is dead. Um, Kamran is, is at a point where he's really struggling for control and he fi- he's fighting his way outside. Uh, damage control is waiting. So is the community. So is Kamala's family. So, hey, I guess that backs up Amir being there. The whole family was on their way to the school to see what exactly uh, <laughs> was going on. But uh, it was all pointing to uh, a situation that I thought really gave Kamala Khan a unique mission from a superhero perspective that she had to protect really both sides of this. She was protecting Kamran from damage control while simultaneously protecting damage control from Kamran. And in many ways, she was kind of living up to uh, what Sheikh Abdullah had told Kamran and Bruno that she wasn't there for. And that whole idea of you know just because someone treats you as their enemy doesn't give you the right to treat them as yours and Kamala Khan is really trying to genuinely save everyone. Um, I don't know if this was an intentional like MCU Easter egg or callback, but like when they were blasting her with that sonic cannon, it was definitely reminiscent of the Incredible Hulk at uh, Culver University, way back in the, in the Incredible Hulk in early days of the MCU, uh, the forgotten film of mm-hmm. the MCU. The Incredible Hulk still counts, still canon, um, and has a sonic cannon that's used on the Hulk. So yeah, that was kind of, uh, it reminded me of that, but as Kamala is kind of down and out and, and having to fight her way back. She says that word that fans of the comics have been waiting to hear her say when she says I'm biggin" and all of a sudden Miss Nightlight gets really big uh, and she, uh, she takes out some of the attacking damage control vehicles while also checking to make sure that people inside those vehicles are okay. Like, hey, you guys okay? Uh, that part I thought was pretty cool. Um, when Comron ends up uh, sending a car in flight and she makes that catch with the embigand hands and the whole I got it thing was great, like kid superhero stuff. Um, And then, you know, making that stand between Comron and and damage control and being a shield uh, as they're firing at him. All of that was, I mean, that to me, I know it's not the biggest spectacle, but in that more figurative way, it is big superhero stuff and, and big superhero acts being done by Kamala Khan and the way it inspires her, uh, the commu- her family, the community that's out there watching all of this unfold. Uh, I thought all of that was great. So I'll I'll save my thoughts on you know her last kind of moments with uh, with Kamran, but you know the the battle of Kamala versus damage control. But as I said, really you know protecting two sides from each other in a lot of ways, while also making sure to you know properly address the the aggressors in the situation. Damage control. I, I loved this part of it. And and I know it's not the biggest spectacle that they could have done, or maybe it is based on budget, but not the biggest spectacle that we're used to seeing in the MCU. But this is what it's all about. Is it, you know, even smaller by comparison, superhero acts uh, can still count for a whole lot uh, in the amount of good that you can do, the people that you can serve, save and inspire. Um, and I thought this scene delivered on that. So Um, if it's not as satisfying visually, uh, you know, to some folks or dramatically to some folks, like I get it, that's fair. Um, but it, it worked really well for me. I I thought this was, uh, maybe the most compelling part of the episode for me.
1: Yeah. The, the ambiguous part was, I thought was really awesome. And this is where I would say that it it kind of bummed me out. We didn't get more of a spectacle, which I know we're going to get with Marvels and whatnot. But, um, I think the translation of the powers, which we'll definitely get that, that in a second here, but the in stuff. I thought it looks better the way they, they, the way they did it, to be honest with, with the whole bracelet thing <clears throat> and the fact that they're, you know, she's because to me, if she just made herself big, it looked kind of weird. And I know Ant-Man and, and the wasp, you know, or, Ant-Man, you know, they have, you know, it's big and everything and, and that looks fine, but it just would, I don't know. It's hard to say. I thought with the power, the little, like kind of like the, the power, you know, shield around her, it just looks cooler. It looks much cooler and just, I don't know, more powerful. I I thought it's a good blend and to be honest, and I think it it works well and it it just doesn't, uh, it doesn't look cheap to me, you know, if it makes any sense. I don't mean that like, you know, Marvel, it looks cheap by any means all the time, but it just looks good. And I think it's a good, it's a good kind of, to me, uh, middle ground for the powers. And I think giving her more, more power in general, instead of just, you know, shape-shifting powers. So, yeah, I thought that the, I like I like this last scene. It, even though, I, to be honest, I like the whole idea of the episode with, of damage control and the fact that you know, also Sean, we uh, we we might have called the damage control could be more tied into this than we realized. Well, with this. I,
0: yeah, Agent Cleary, we're we're gonna get to that. Um, All right, A, A, All right. Agent, Agent Cleary steps up, and he it's we're starting to see kind of what we thought we might see. Um, with uh, yes. with with his response to what was happening here, and, and so, um, yeah, this this sequence I thought was great, and yes, when we had the moments like when she embiggens, and, and then obviously when she uh, catches the car, like that part of it looked great, and it was stretchy powers like she has in the comic books, but obviously more mm-hmm. than that, and I mean there's something to be said, and and I know it's not exactly the most subtle thing, but when you're literally taking this young hero and making her power light um you know this this light to uh you know a warm light for all mankind uh for not to steal the tony stark stuff but that that ultron uh co-opted but it, it really is that and that inspiring type of figure um you know to have her power be this you know light and and, and i i just i absolutely love it i mean it looks cool it captures the spirit of, of what she was able to do in the comic books, but it also gives her even more uh, than she was able to do in the comic books, and and I just loved it. And also with that M word that comes into it, you know, maybe the Noor powers don't account for all of the stretching that she does, right? So maybe there's more to it than uh, we've already been shown. Um, but I, I I think they've done such a great job of uh, capturing. The spirit of her powers in the comic books while also elevating it, uh, as we've talked about in these spoiler reviews. It just looks great. And then, you know, for all the the superhero acts and and the physical stuff, um, it still comes down to, you know, what these uh, the way these heroes can inspire and and Kamala needs to reach Kamran. I mean, she's created this little Bubble around them to you know shield them from damage control, but also shield everyone else from uh, Kamran, who is not in control of his powers at this point. And he's talking about how he's never going to be accepted. His mother was right. This is not his home. How can he be normal? And Kamala's response: There is no normal. There's just us and what we do with what we've been given. Um, and even that phrase, you know, no normal. The title of this episode. Well, that's also the title of the first arc of uh, Miss Marvel and when those comic books were first published back in uh, in 2014 and it's com- also an
1: Angus reference.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the movie Angus, if you remember yeah. that movie? I do remember got, Angus. For, yeah,
1: for all you 90s kids
0: out oh, there. Oh man. We yeah, I just blew your mind. Oh man, I have not heard an Angus reference and I don't know I mean maybe Fantastic since I saw the soundtrack too. Maybe since I saw Angus. I don't know. No, that's not true. I, I saw Angus again as like an I don't adult. think I've ever
1: seen the whole thing.
0: Oh, really? Oh, okay. I've always well, seen the end. i have always in the ending. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is not an Angus podcast. This is just another example no. of how old we're getting. But that's um great. nevertheless, uh, I I thought it was so you know great the way she's able to reach Camron in, in this moment and she punches a hole in the ground so he can uh, make his way out. And then Uh, Just a a great moment is, you know, here's Kamala Khan protecting Kamran, protecting her friends, her family, her community. And now it's her community that stands up for her Um, as damage control is closing in. And all these citizens and the Jersey City Police Department all stand and form a wall, although they let damage control right through um, to just stand in between (laughs) damage. Hey, at least they, you know, at least they stood in front of Kamala to, uh, you know, to show where they're. It's a symbol. Exactly, Symbolism. it was Athletic. a symbolic act, and they, you know, yeah. and it's beautiful that they felt that way, and, and that's what Kamala Khan uh, has inspired. Um, and it's well, Kamala, lo- it, They had guns. Well, it creates enough. <laughs> it, it creates enough of a delay yeah. that uh, Agent Deaver gets a call, uh, another call from Agent Cleary, where now he's aware of exactly what she's been doing, and he tells her to stand down because of here she's gone ahead and done so she is defied orders, and now she's gone and, in a very public way, uh, gone and attacked a bunch of kids. It's a very bad look and a very bad act on the part of Agent Deaver, so she has to leave who knows what her future is with damage control. She should not have a future with damage control uh, based on what has happened here, but yes, that bit with Agent Cleary like originally telling her to not do this, and then after she has done it, telling her to, to stop and, and stand down and all of that. Yeah, I, I want to hear more from Agent Cleary, because this was a guy who was, uh, you know, not, didn't seem to be that bothered by investigating what was going on with Spider-Man, but, you know, he can't remember anything for uh, related to that case for reasons he doesn't know, um, but we do, because we saw Spider-Man No Way Home. But when he sees this young hero, his initial response is, yeah, some suspicion and what exactly is going on here. But we do see that his intentions are are different than uh, those of Agent Deaver. And I think this is a guy who, yeah, damage control probably has some future in the MCU as it pertains to young heroes. And uh, as we've talked about previously on the show, Agent Cleary seems like somebody who could be right there at the center of it. I still like Scott Lang and Hope Van Dyne as our official superhero chaperones for Young Avengers, Um, but you still need some guy on the inside somewhere, somebody on the inside somewhere on the government side of things, especially in a post-Sokovia Accords MCU. They're still around. Um, They didn't just go away because of the blip or anything like that. They are still around, so somebody like Agent Cleary uh, has a part to play, and it it certainly seems like, uh, whereas Agent Deaver is focusing on all the problems that come with uh, kids getting powers. Uh, Agent Cleary is the one who seems like he's maybe turning a corner on this and, and going to be a bit more optimistic about it and uh, will be that guy who, who starts out as, as suspicious but then ends up being an ally for, for our young heroes. It, it certainly, After this finale, it definitely felt like that's the direction it's going in.
1: Yeah, I... I again the actor I know is from succession. You were telling me and I he just commands a screen He's got a comedic presence that just fits. I think the MCU Perfectly, especially when you're you're I think when I think of kids and and that's all we've got in him and you know Talking with him for the most part is obviously working with spider-man the younger characters and how well I mean no way home his he doesn't steal the scene I would say but like when he's in, when he's on, but he, when he's on screen, he commands it really well. And you're, and he's not, he's not someone you forget. I remembered him very well being like, who is this guy? <clears throat> kind of a thing. And then when he shows up here, I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. And now with this episode, it only confirms to me that damage control is going to be kind of the, the chat. No, I wouldn't even say chaperones, but again, kind of like keeping them in line, keep it, showing them where to go, making sure they're Okay healing them when they're beat up, that kind of thing. It feels like that's where it's where it's going to well, kind of go. And-,
0: and to check in, in young Avengers in stories that um, can't afford to pay Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly to be a part of them. Like they're not, yeah. they, they can't be in all. There's going to be more than one young Avenger. I mean, look at Ironheart coming up. I mean, there are yeah. solo projects with other young heroes that this guy could play a part in and then eventually be part of the the team up as well.
1: Well, and I, I yeah, and I, I don't want to open up Pandora's box, but I do feel like there's going to be like Ironheart. There, there, it's going to, there's going to be a legitimate like event, young kid team. It's going to be oh, yeah. with Ironheart, everyone, Miss Marvel. And, and, and again, I, I think you're probably going to see him show up in Ironheart. I would not, I would not be shocked for him to show up there and, and have an even more of a presence potentially, especially considering, you know, what, Again, I digress. I'm, I'm going down a rabbit hole. But yeah, I, I, I like where they're headed with this because that guy is, he's funny. He can play straight. He can be the mean jerk, but also had the heart of gold we can kind of see that, you know, he ha- has a heart. He's not like the cold blooded person that we see in this episode where she's just like,
0: I don't care about,
1: you know. And so I like that. So I I feel like you're setting up a great uh, relationship already with this character from Damage Control and what that might turn into. So yeah, I I definitely feel like he's the future chaperone of the Young Avengers, or heaven forbid, champions.
0: Not the main chaperone, just the uh, the government connected chaperone. I'm still holding. I
1: don't know. I I don't don't know. I've still got
0: hope for Scott and Hope, but uh, we'll see how it pans out. More 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 to come in. uh, Well, really, 2023 (laughs) is going to be big, right? Like yeah. You've got Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania with our potential super chaperones and uh, Cassie Lang uh, being in there. And then, of course, the Marvels next year, Ironheart, presumably next year on Disney+. Plus. So it's already been a pretty good run for young heroes in the MCU, but I think it just kind of explodes in, uh, in 2023. Um, so yeah, plenty to uh, look forward to there. But we still got to get through the rest of this episode. So uh, we get a... Uh, we kind of get as we work our way through the resolution. Uh, we see Nakia as uh, a conversation is happening between Kamala and her father. Uh, we see Nakia and Sheikh Abdullah at the mosque. We see Kamran and Kareem meeting up, so hopefully resolving some differences between the clandestines and uh, and the Red Daggers. Uh, certainly keeps those two characters on the board for a second season of Miss Marvel or something else later on down the line. Um, but it's the conversation between Yusuf and, and Kamala that is just so good. When he talks about um, how uh, where her name came from and how it was inspired by um, her mother and father, you know, trying years to have another child and, and thinking that uh, you know, in, in losing hope, but then all of a sudden, uh, Kamala is there, and, and that name in Arabic it means perfect. But as uh, Yusuf is thinking about what it would mean in, in Urdu and explaining that, a wonder or a marvel. And so goes with Marvel. And of course, Kamala Khan lands on that. I share the same name as Carol frickin' Danvers. Perfect dad response of I don't know who that is. Uh, and then uh, Miss Marvel heads off on her little light steps and Yusuf says magic, absolute magic. And we close out before the one week later with Kamala Khan uh, on that streetlight uh, that we've seen in posters and previous trailers, rip right from the cover of one of the Miss Marvel comics. Um, but yeah, that that exchange between the two of them, I, I thought was beautiful. And then, you know, seeing a father, um, you know, talking about how Kamala is uh, is a marvel, and that's part of where her name is coming from. And then marveling at her, uh, and you know, that absolute magic that he's seeing as he as he watches her just go off and, and be a, a superhero. Um, it's just beautiful. It's beautiful. It's sweet. It's touching. Uh, it's, you know, and, and to have it, I know this is not the literal end and the literal last scene of this because of the one week later and the mid credit scene, but this effectively is kind of the emotional ending of the story um, at, at this point for Kamala Khan, for Miss Marvel, for this season of the series. And uh, and, and it fits as, uh, and because this has been, really about Kamala and her family. And, you know, we got that resolution between Kamala and her mother at the end of episode five. So to kind of show this at the end of episode six, and also kind of making good on the conversation that happened earlier in this episode with the father expressing concern, um, a daughter saying, you know, of how she was raised to make the difference where she can, even with the risks that come with it. And, you know, she walks away from her father as a, as a superhero at the end of this. And all he does is, uh, is Marvel at it, you know, loving and completely inspired by his daughter. I mean, you just, it's hard to describe just how beautiful that is. Like it was just, it was very sweet. I loved it.
1: There's a lot of, uh, yeah, again, this is great stuff. I love the fact that again, the family is tied to taking the name. It wasn't something that she had to come up with herself. It was something that, you know, it was her, her father that helped, you know, put that in her brain. And, you know, I can't relate completely to what they were talking about, but there's definitely things I can relate to. And, you know, it's, it definitely gets me emotional. Like, man, when I listen to it, when I think about it and you know it, it really is it, again this is the why I love the series so much and it, maybe it's because I am a father and that's why I I, I love so much of the stuff and and how much important that is to me but I just love the fact that you know these are these are things that we that kids need to hear and and why they're named certain things and and, and the struggles that parents go through and and everything and know that that the struggles we go through are they're worth it And I think that that's one of the things about, uh, I think, Miss Marvel, the series, has kind of showed her, and I think, again, I appreciate the fact that, you know, she almost, you know, she isn't perfect throughout the series. She has to learn everything and has to grow. And I think that that's kind of, you know, a little bit, kind of uh, capped off a little bit in this conversation is that it's kind of her realizing, and again, that whole coming-of-age story of realizing, like, her parents, I have to, you know, there's a change and, and it's hard and it's not easy, but when she finally breaks through, it becomes, you know, she gets it becomes in her life. And then with her, when she embraces who she is, she gets, you know, because all these powers and she's trying to figure herself out. She gets her costume. It doesn't come, you know, it's pieced throughout the whole series. Right. And then as we don't get her name until the very end, it takes a while. And so it it, it took some time. It took some, you know, some things for her to realize and I think that, again, it's a, it's a good conversation to cap off, I think, what the character, you know, the developing of the character that we got in the series, which I am i haven't, you know, again, I, I avoid, you know, there's certain places that try to just want to just, you know, rag on things for the sake of the almighty dollar and everything as far as, you know, YouTube and whatnot. and. Never forget people just criticizing, like, you know, the first episode of Hawkeye of the character development for Kate Bishop. I just laughed out loud, like, are you kidding me? Anyway, but what I, I haven't seen a lot of this, and maybe I'm not looking at the right places, but thank God I'm not. But I haven't seen a lot of criticism of character development for Kamala. And I think that's one of the, I think to me, that's the biggest strength of the show is the developing, development of a character. You see her as a dreamer and how she becomes. You know, more mature in a good way. And, but just, I love the developing of that character and how she, it's, you know, she physically gets her costume piece together. And I think she's piecing her life together at the same time. And having this at the very end of this episode was, was a really beautiful, like, kind of, kind of send off. And I, I loved it. Loved, I love Abu. He's so great. Love him. Um, big Holt
0: uh so uh
1: yeah i, I love them I, again mom and dad are great they're, 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 and and i think they're the fair part of the show with Kamala so yeah I, I this is a great great part of the show for me
0: yeah it totally was just uh such a such a sweet ending that um very fitting of what the series had you know the entire story that had been told up until that point and then to think of it as just the beginning for miss marvel slash Kamala Khan, and perhaps just the beginning of something else uh much bigger in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, one week later, uh we get uh, to find that Bruno is on his way to Caltech. There's some debate over who should be taking care of Camron's car, whether it should be going with him to California or Nakia and Kamala should uh, have it uh, in New Jersey. Meanwhile, um Bruno is updating Kamala that he's found out even more. He took another look at it and it's not as simple as to say it's from Kamala's family connection or that it's all just about the clandestines and the Noor. There is something else. Kamala, not necessarily that interested in exploring it. As she says, she's not interested in another label, but we kind of are now that we know what that label is because Bruno said that he saw something else. There's something different in your genes like a mutation. With also a music cue immediately following, <laughs> so uh, which uh, '90s kids uh, will certainly remember. And uh, if you don't know that music, just go look up X Men: The Animated Series on Disney Plus. Uh, it's there, so you can watch it. It's a great show. So there it is: an X Men animated music cue and a the word mutation to describe uh, the root cause of Kamala's powers. Uh, being more than just what has been explained up until this point. So here it is, the M-word, not necessarily that M-word of mutant in the MCU, but mutation, Uh, here it is. And as I said, my initial reaction was, holy crap, that could mean a whole lot, or they're just messing with us again. Um, And so I, I wasn't really sure, and I was... Kind of tempering my own excitement, although I was struggling to do that and it wasn't exactly succeeding. Um, but then the follow-up interviews uh, really kind of made it seem like, yeah, that this is what it is. I mean, there wasn't even an article on Marvel.com about it and how big of a deal it was. So um, it's pretty clear to me that 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 it is exactly what seems to be implied by that scene. Kamala Khan is a mutant in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and this is the beginning of mutants in the MCU. Not that this is the literal beginning of the story, because flashbacks could also, of course, have happened, so it's not saying that Kamala Khan is the first mutant in the MCU, but she's the one who gets to introduce us to this concept in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I absolutely love it. I love this choice. It's even something that I've talked about before on the show, um, and I don't know whether it was in these spoiler reviews or Patreon shows or or whatever over the years leading up to this and speculating about the nature of Kamala Khan's origin in the MCU. Obviously, there was always the possibility that she would be an Inhuman, uh, because that's what she is in the comic books there was the possibility that she could be neither an inhuman or a mutant and just have something else, like the show uh, pretty much uh, gave to us for these past uh, several episodes before this revelation, that she's a descendant of the clandestines and be able to tap into the power of the nor dimension. Okay, great. Uh, That makes uh, enough sense to me, and I can accept that. Um, But there was also the possibility, long before we knew about clandestines in the nor dimension, that maybe she would be a mutant because we knew that mutants were coming to the MCU. And I, I believe I said on, on the show uh, recently, or maybe it wasn't that recent, but even talking about how it wouldn't necessarily shock me if Kamala Khan were a mutant because, and it would be, I, I think I would be fine with the choice because really there was a lot of stuff going on with Marvel Comics at the time that that Kamala Khan was introduced that really dictated that she be inhuman. Um, whereas uh, were it not for a lot of those things happening at the time, she could have just as easily been a mutant in the comic books and probably would have been a mutant in the comic books, so I wouldn't be surprised if that was the route they took in the MCU, and it appears that is the route that they have taken. And um, just to address that point, because I, I've seen this... Uh, I, I do my best to avoid... Uh, a, a lot of the online chatter, especially the negative online chatter about these things I love and, you know, and enjoy so much and enjoy talking about so much that I try to focus more on what's positive and, and uplifting about it. Um, but uh, that doesn't mean I don't want to hear any criticisms or anything. Criticisms in good faith are fine. Um, and look, if you are a fan of Miss Marvel from the comic books and you have been drawn to and, and appreciated, entertained by, and you are invested in her status as an inhuman and her comic book history as an inhuman, and you're upset that that's not part of, that's not at this point uh, necessarily how she's being portrayed in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I get that, and I, I think that part of it is fair if, if that bothers you, but I've seen it take uh, you know, another tone in the wake of this finale where I, I think it is a lot of people acting in bad faith uh, with a lot of the criticisms of this. Uh, I've seen people go so far as to say that Kevin Feige either doesn't know, hasn't read, or outright hates Marvel comic books, which I don't know how at this point, 14 years into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, all of these movies, all of these series... And how faithful so much of this material has been adapted to say that Kevin Feige doesn't know or respect the comic books and the source material, Um, that's just a silly argument in my view. And it, it really is acting in bad faith. I think Kevin Feige might appreciate some of the comic book history and lore more than some of the people who used to be in charge of a lot of the creative on the publishing side of things. Because just to... Filter this through the lens of of history and what happened when Kamala Khan was uh, was being created, and and this was recently backed up by one of the co creators uh, of uh, of Kamala Khan of Ms Marvel, Sana Amanat, who is has a cameo in the series, uh, also is an executive producer on this series, and largely when we talk about a co creator, you know, she was an editor for this book. And you say, well, that's not the writer, that's not the artist. Okay, but this whole thing got pitched to writers and artists because it was based on or largely inspired by Sana Amanat's own life. Not that she was a superhero, but just a lot of uh, what she was, uh, a lot of her experiences. And as far as original creator intentions for Kamala, here is what she told Empire uh, in, uh, in an interview following this, uh, this episode being released. Here's a really important thing that people do not know. When we were thinking about the character of Kamala back, back, back in the day in 2012, 2013, and when G. Willow Wilson and myself were ideating, we originally wanted to make her a mutant. That was the whole intention, to be able to do that. So there you go. The original intention was to make Kamala Khan a mutant because most young heroes who become superheroes as they're teenagers, adolescents, whatever, they are mutants because that is the device in Marvel comic books. But what was also true at the time is that a character who was a mutant would have their movie rights automatically owned by Fox. And there was a frustration at Marvel Entertainment, and remember, 2012, 2013, or 2014, when a lot of these comic books were eventually published, there was an initiative at the time, and at this point in time, Marvel Studios and Marvel Entertainment are not separate. They are part of one entity. Kevin Feige is the president of Marvel Studios, but he rolls up to, at this point in time, the rest of Marvel Entertainment. Uh, now, of course, Kevin Feige runs pretty much all creative for all divisions of Marvel, but this is even before Marvel Studios was separated away from that. At the time, in Marvel comic books, because there were certain individuals who felt like because the mutants could not be fully owned by Marvel or, or be uh, have their being able to take advantage of these characters with movies and other things because of Fox having that license— they wanted to phase out mutants in favor of Inhumans. They also phased out around the same time the Fantastic Four, by the way, because they couldn't really capitalize on the movie rights of those characters. And so there was a big storyline in uh, the latter half of 2013, Jonathan Hickman's Infinity. We've talked about that uh, storyline a lot on the podcast over the years um, and have even told this story. But for for reference, for reminder, or for first timers, for newer listeners, or anybody who hasn't heard the story, so... In the course of that Infinity storyline, you have a fight, an awesome fight, between Black Bolt and Thanos, and Black Bolt sets off the Terrigen bomb. It sends this cloud of Terrigen mist all over Earth, and the purpose of that was to just have an explosion of the inhuman population on Earth to all of a sudden have as many inhumans on Earth as there are X-Men and X-Men-related characters as mutants because they wanted to replace mutants. They They really wanted to swap out Mutants for Inhumans at this point in time in the comic books because they owned the movie and television rights to Inhumans. And this coincided with having an Inhuman population explosion on the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. series not long after all of this. It was all part of this larger initiative that wasn't necessarily expanding Inhumans because Inhumans were so great. I mean, they are great and they are awesome. But that isn't what necessarily drove this as much as the, this is a set of characters whose movie rights we can capitalize on. So let's emphasize them and expand on them instead of this other group that we that's way more popular and has been for decades, but we don't have the movie rights to. So we're going to try and phase them out in favor of this other group. That is what happened at the time. And so I am not surprised to learn that the original intention was for Kamala Khan Uh, to be a mutant. And then that turns, she gets caught up in the Inhuman expansion at the time. And that's part of why I never really cared about her being an Inhuman. I liked that she had powers. I really liked Kamala Khan as a character, her family, her community, her story. All of that is what I, I loved. But I knew at the time her status as an Inhuman was a byproduct of this very cynical financially motivated initiative at the time. It wasn't necessarily from coming from the most purely creative place. And all of these things are a business. All of these things are for profit. I understand all of that. Um, But in terms of the creator intent, you hear it from one of the creators herself um, that the intention was there to make her a mutant. I think it's a perfectly valid choice. It's valid for you to not like it, um, but to act as if Marvel Studios is acting in bad faith to act as if Kevin Feige doesn't know, like, or respect the comic books when one of the creators of this character, whose life inspired the existence of this character, is signing off on this. I think it's acting in bad faith to uh, to suggest that anybody else is acting in, uh, uh, on the opposing side of this is acting in bad faith. It was It's a perfectly valid choice for the creators to make, to have wanted to make in the comic books 10 years ago And for Sana and Kevin, for Sana Amanat, Kevin Feige, Bisha K. Ali, the entire creative team behind the series to go in this other direction. And I also think it's such a huge thing for Kamala Khan. I mean, I love this because it's a very interesting creative choice that uh, provides a lot the source of a lot of excitement for what's going to happen over the next few years in the MCU. But also for Kamala Khan. I love that she gets this significance in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Not that her story by itself in these past six episodes wasn't significant. It was, but it certainly adds to it. It adds even more weight to it when we look back on the history of the MCU And we get to say that it was Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel, who got the ball rolling for mutants in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's a huge honor for this character uh, to be part of that, to be part of introducing a concept that is so huge and so highly anticipated for fans um, pretty much for as long as the MCU has been around, but certainly since the Fox purchase made this thing possible uh, a few years ago. I I love this choice on so many different levels. Um, if for nothing else, then, man, it w- it was exciting to hear and, and have confirmed in the days that followed. I was not
1: prepared emotionally to hear the word mutation. I had seen this kind of, uh, you know, I, I watched it in the morning too because I, I, I just wanted to kind of check it out and my schedule kind of allowed it. Um, I saw a random tweet saying, oh, Marvel's used, you know, the theme twice for X-Men. I didn't put two and two together. I thought, so I didn't know what I was thinking, but, um, they basically, basically someone was criticizing Marvel MCL Marvel studios for using the nineties the theme, whatever. And I didn't think, think anything of it until the very end when they hear a little, I am like, Whoa, wait a minute. And a lot of things came, came to my mind. And the first reaction is, Makes sense, makes a whole lot of damn sense. It didn't, it didn't make sense to me the fact that she would put on this bracelet and all of a sudden no one else would, who put the bracelet on would have powers but her. It seemed It seemed a little convenient for me. That's why I, again I don't I, remember exactly what I said. Okay, I can't remember what I said like, like ten minutes ago. But um, I want to say in like the episode, like a second or third episode, I talked about how I would not be shocked if it, there was some kind of inhuman aspect because it just doesn't really line up in what we're getting here. Um, this makes a lot of sense in a lot of different ways. You're opening up the idea of of what's going on. Um, and that it's a little more subtle than we, than we might realize. And what that means, we don't know, right? What, what does that mean? I don't know if it means that she's going to be like all of a sudden an X-Men character, whatever. I, I don't know. I don't think so. But a lot of people, like you said, have have been on here saying Kevin Feige doesn't know this, doesn't know that. You know, one thing that people don't talk about is that, remember, the Inhumans were were, were scheduled to be an actual goddamn film, right? This was not something that was just kind of. Oh yeah, you know, Inhumans. Inhumans was going to they were going to be a legitimate film and they were scheduled, you know, to have some kind of, you know, substance in the MCU that wasn't pertaining to um, you know, the, the TV series. Now, I don't know what if that's something that Kevin Feige wanted or if that was again a Pearl Mutter thing. I have no idea if the movie was it was all that. I have no idea. Regardless, I have to think that the movie was something that Kevin was probably going to be into because one, he wanted to make it, um, and I think that's interesting. And I've I've talked about this before on the show.
0: I don't know that he wanted to make it. I I but, have no idea, man. It fell off the slate not long after Marvel Studios became separate from the rest of Marvel Entertainment, and Kevin Feige was no longer reporting to anybody at Marvel, and he was instead reporting to Alan Horn at Disney. So it was. I I don't think the timing was a coincidence that all of a sudden Inhumans falls off the movie slate, and then Inhumans, of course, becomes a series uh, by a very bad series made by Marvel Television, uh, which was at that point in time still controlled by Marvel Entertainment, rolling up to Marvel CEO Ike Perlmutter. So I I think that is. um, I think it's fair to say that Kevin Feige didn't necessarily want to make that Inhumans movie. That doesn't mean that Kevin Feige doesn't like Inhumans, that he doesn't respect Inhumans. But what I think there was an an aversion to was the reasons behind this expansion of the Inhumans. I think Kevin Feige, like most of us, is very interested in the royal family and the Inhumans as it relates to their origins dating back to the Kree and all of that stuff. I think where he differed is this artificial expansion of we're using this as a way to substitute for the X-Men. You can't substitute for mutants. Inhumans are great on their own, but they cannot be a substitute for mutants in Marvel lore. And that's what certain folks were trying to make happen. So I can understand Kevin Feige saying, uh, being resistant to that specific project at that, that, for those reasons, because of that cynical initiative at that time, as opposed to you know the more the purity of let's just focus on these great characters who are inhumans like black bolt and on down the line. So I I, I think that's I, I don't think I think Kevin Feige respects the concept of inhumans in these core characters, not necessarily the the attempt to have them replace mutants. And that's what he was avoiding. And that's what Marvel Television played out in Agents of Shield. And then of course in uh in the Inhumans series.
1: But I but see for me, I I get that. But remember, the Inhumans are more cosmic. They've always been more sure. cosmic centered with the Kree the Empire origins. So for me, I don't know if I totally believe that. I believe it could be, a, a, I, I, it's probably somewhere in the middle, in my opinion, because I feel like there, there's a lot, especially with, with Multiverse of Madness. I mean, look at the cameos on Blackpool. Oh, yeah. Black Bolt no, itself. I, I, I mean, do think
0: Kevin Feige would want to make an Inhumans movie. I don't think he wanted to make that Inhumans movie.
1: No, and that's, and I agree with that. And that's where I totally will say what I do think with all this going on with, the, with you know, will, will they make her a mutant? You know, I, I makes, it makes sense. That's what her origins were going to be. But the thing is with the Inhumans, and I, and I think that they were attempting to go this route, and I've talked about this on the previous shows, is that the Inhumans and there's rumors about combining the Inhumans and mutants as one entity. And then that kind of got scrapped once basically they're I think they were building up towards that. There's a lot of connections with the inhumans and the X-Men they were doing. And then all of a sudden that kind of just went to the wayside. And now that I mean, and, and this is my own personal thing about the X-Men in general. I love the X-Men. The X-Men now are a mess, in my opinion. I think Krokoa, this whole thing is just is 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 insane. It's it's too much. And I, I I'm wondering when they're going to be come back to reality as far as making it a lot more simpler. Cause I think it's going to happen because we're as, we're, especially with this announcement of Miss Marvel, m- the comic books are going to have to start kind of re making this a little more easier for you know new readers to jump on and to pick up these comic books and get more familiar with these characters and not feel overwhelmed. Like what the hell is going on here? <coughs> so I say all that because Right now, there is a giant crossover between the Avengers, the X-Men, and the Eternals. Eternals, I know, it didn't light the world on fire, whatever. But I do think that there's probably going to be some kind of connection with the Eternals and the X-Men and mutants in general. I don't know what that is, but it feels like with Kieran Gillen, who is writing the Eternals comic book right now, a one of the better writers in comic book medium in general writing this comic book series and he's written the X-Men before and the Avengers before, or I think so. But, um, regardless, this is going to be, this potentially could be a big crossover. And with the Eternals film coming out and them trying to, you know, I feels like the Eternals would maybe be, it almost feels like, and, and this is where I would say to my point earlier, Sean, it feels like the Eternals kind of replaced the inhumans in that respect. That's what it feels like to hmm. me. And that's why I would say, And I we we were we were uh, not tweeting we were texting each other. That's when when we I saw the episode. It feels like to me that we're about to get the Inhumans, the Mutants, and the Eternals all on the same page. And if you did that, and this is where I think they're going, in my opinion, I, I I very much feel that in the comic books, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next month, but the next year or so. Now that everything's under one banner, I think the Inhumans and Mutants and Eternals will not be. All the same thing directly, but they will all be basically, uh, mutants are just basically, you know, inhumans but mutated over time. And the inhumans were created by, not the Kree, but instead of the Eternals. The Eternals will be overseeing the Kree, mandated to create these things. And then mutants are, you know, basically the, the Terrigen Mist but just mutated within themselves. Whatever. You make it, you put all that together. All of a sudden, mutants make sense. All of a sudden, the Eternals—you you have tied it with the the MCU characters—makes sense. Whatever, I have no idea. But to me, that's where it feels like it's going. And when I bring up the whole Eternals and In- In- Inhumans film, it just keep, there's that cosmic element that I keep going back to. It feels like that that's where Kevin Feige wanted to bring it, and I feel like that's where the X Men will have their ties into the MCU it'll be in fact more cosmic and it fits in line to me. And again, in my opinion with the characters in general, because of how many cosmic adventures they have, they have dark Phoenix, not, not the Fox films, but the comic book characters uh, and those uh, classic legendary John Byrne, uh, Claremont stories. Some of the best adventures are with the Shire empire. Mm -hmm. It would make, it makes a lot more sense. I think thematically, to have them tied into the uh, the more cosmic realm, so it feels like that's what we're gearing up for. I think obviously the prejudices, and I think the you know the parallels that those that they they bring are amazing. I love the X Men mythology before. Oh God, the last I'd say ten years, last ten years have just been a mess for the X Men. It feels like if they if they do this right now, Sean, and, and, and incorporate. Eternals Inhumans, and mutants kind of together. And you kind of, you could tie it up a little bit easier and have them kind of spin off in different things and not feel overly complicated. It feels like to me, in my opinion, but I don't know, but yeah, I, I feel like right now, this is the right way to do it. And it feels like with Ms. Marvel, you're in cor- you're going to slowly incorporate these mutants into it. And I think it, for back to bring it back to Ms. Marvel, my last point is it makes sense because now the embiggen powers, all of that, all that now is it, it. she keeps that where people are like, the bracelets beat her powers is ridiculous, blah, blah, blah. the bracelets are just a power level. It makes her more powerful. And I think that's why I love this version of the character. You now make the ambiguous powers, all those things people complain about. You've washed that way completely. People can't complain about that anymore. Cause now it is literally who she is. It's not something that she gets from a, you know, a bracelet. It's literally who she is now as a, as a mutant. So yeah, I I think this is gonna you're gonna see a lot of Eternals tie-ins, and I think this is where there was a big rumor. Um, I remember I, I I bit from a fake account saying that Eternals two is being made. I gotta tell you, I with the mutation thing, I in my my theory about Eternals being tied to more mutants, would not be shocked if that was the case. If only to start spearheading more mutants and getting that kind of explained, in some way. That's where I uh, I'm going with it. So yeah, I think uh, Eternals, mutants, and humans would all be tied together very shortly in the comics and in the uh, MCU.
0: Yeah, well, they already are tied together in the comic books. There's that retcon where basically the mutant gene is something the Celestials gave human beings. You know, the the ability to eventually where w- upgrade. Where was
1: that? Where w- yeah, where was that? I don't remember
0: that. I don't remember where it was, but I know it's it's in there. It, it's basically it's pretty vague though in how it's described. It's like I don't even know how much of it is, is explicit in the Marvel canon versus how much is interpretation on the part of fans. But basically, at the time that the Eternals created the Deviants and, uh, or I'm sorry, the Celestials created the Deviants and the Eternals, there was this, you know, mankind was just kind of in the middle, you know, as, as these mortal beings. Um, and so it was more like this hidden ability later on to potentially upgrade but not like a not like a given that it was always going to happen but like the they basically created the potential for it to happen but as i said that's not the same as explicitly saying they gave him the mutant gene now like the comic books could now step in and make that uh make that more explicit make it more um uh you know, and and of course the MCU can say like, yeah, this is, this is what it is. But yeah, I I don't think, you know, as far as Kamala Khan being a mutant doesn't mean that you can't have these other things like, and by the way, for the Eternals, you don't need, I'm not saying there won't be an Eternals 2. I'm just saying you don't need it in order to massively expand the role of the Eternals in this overall story as it relates to mutants, because you just have them pop up in these other things. It's that simple. That's what the MCU allows you to do. But um, yeah, I don't think. I need Star
1: Fox and Pit Patrol though,
0: man. Well, yeah, but you don't—they don't have to be in it. You don't need Eternals too for them to be stars in something, right? Like I—I want to see those characters too. I, I definitely do, and I—I I hope there's an Eternals sequel. But even if there isn't, it doesn't—it doesn't at all mean uh, the end of the road for those characters. And and I think that Eternals have a part to play in this somewhere. I, I think even as it relates to mutants, and and look, the inhuman thing the matter is not entirely settled. Like, I, I do believe that Kamala, that Kamala Khan is a mutant. I believe that's the way that they have, uh, I, I believe that's the way that they have set this up. Um, and and I, I don't think they do these post-show interviews to kind of play on this if they just plan to pull the rug out from under us and say, nope, she's not a mutant at all. It turns out she is, in fact, uh, an inhuman. Like, why does Sana Amanat have to bring up the point that she originally wanted to make her a mutant if that's not what she's going to be in the MCU, but that doesn't mean inhumans or, or the Cree don't have some part to play in this. That is what we will find out more about in the Marvels. And also, as you said, inhumans are more cosmic in nature. And that was part mm-hmm. of the whole initiative on in you know ten years ago in the comic books was well we need to do something to have more inhumans on earth because we're trying to have we're trying to swap these guys out for mutants and there's mutants all over earth we need another type of hero or superpower set, superpower set of characters to spring up all over earth all of a sudden and that's what they did with inhumans in the comic books and that's what they kind of sort of did with uh, agents of shield via fish oil instead of a terigen cloud so there's all these things that they were trying to do at the time that weren't really part of the core of what Inhumans started out as anyway. So if the MCU draws its focus back into what the Inhumans originally were and explores that in the Marvels or elsewhere, uh, while still having mutants on Earth and Kamala Khan being one of them, I think that's perfectly valid. And I, I don't know how all of this is going to connect um, and, and all of these ideas between Eternals, Inhumans, Mutants, and humans, Mutants, and what those intersections are going to be. Um, but it's going to be something. And I do think there's space for all of them uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And because it's such a huge, ever-expanding place, and uh, I, I'm excited to see uh, where it goes from here. And and I, I would, again, just reiterate, like, if you're genuinely upset that it's something you liked from the comic books isn't being adapted into the MCU, that part's fair. But for, for those acting in, in bad faith and just being mad because they want some reason to slam this series or slam this character of Kamala Khan, or you're only upset because somebody on YouTube or TikTok who read a Marvel Wiki told you to, that you're supposed to be upset about this because it's not like a comic book they didn't read, that's acting in bad faith, and it's best to to avoid that. So um, again, not to take anything away from the, the true fan—well, not true, because I'm not— trying to—everybody is is a true fan, but if you're, you know, if it's not coming from a genuine place of you liked this aspect of a story um, and, that, and it's not being adapted, if it's coming from that place, I get it. That's fair. Um, but uh, and, and I totally understand that as a fan of those comic books, but that was just never what I responded to the most. Um, so I was fine with a change, and the one they've made here um, I think is a change for the better that also just so happens to coincide uh, with the creator's original intent. So it's a beautiful thing when, when all of those things can can happen uh, all at once, as we saw uh, with this piece here at the not-quite-very-end of Miss Marvel. Wow, we still have a mid-credit scene to talk about. Let's do that. So uh, Kamala Khan is uh, crashing out on her bed, and uh, Mom is calling from down below. Doesn't sound like Kamala Khan is doing her science homework. That's fair. Um, and then all of a sudden, the bangle illuminates and Kamala is wondering what the hell is going on. And then all of a sudden, someone is thrown into the closet. But it's not Kamala Khan. She has disappeared somewhere in time and space. And who has replaced her in this closet? It is none other than Carol freaking Danvers. Um, maybe now uh, her dad will know who Carol Danvers is uh, if she runs downstairs and, and meets Kamala's parents. Who knows? But Carol Danvers emerges from this closet uh, and finds herself in the fan shrine of Kamala Khan, a shrine to herself uh, of Carol Danvers, um, looking at all of this artwork of Captain Marvel, and all she can say is, oh no, and she takes off, and we get the line, Miss Marvel will return in the Marvels. Uh, I love this. I I figured at some point, and probably in a mid-credit scene, uh, Carol Danvers was going to cameo Brie Larson as Carol Danvers, was going to cameo in this series. So as I said uh, at the top of the show, wasn't necessarily expecting the word mutation, was totally expecting, or at least thought there was a really good chance we would get a Carol Danvers cameo, and we in fact got one. And I just love the way this got my excitement going for the Marvels. I mean, obviously already excited about it because Captain Marvel and Miss Marvel and she doesn't have an official MCU superhero name yet, but uh, Monica Rambeau, uh, whether she is going to be Captain Marvel or Spectrum, like I don't know what they're going to go with, uh, or Photon, of course, her mom's call sign in the MCU. Don't know what they're going to go with, but regardless, those three actors as well, Brie Larson, Iman Vellani, and Tiana Paris, who was still just so amazing in WandaVision, Those three in a movie directed by Nia DaCosta, I'm already super amped up for the Marvels, but now in this very specific way of just what the hell happened here, that there is something besides just a coincidental name sharing um, that is connecting somehow Kamala Khan and Carol Danvers at this point in time, something that was activated by that bangle, and we know by the way that there's another bangle that's out there, right? Cuz there were supposed mm-hmm. to be two and we've only been dealing with one <coughs> in this story. What if that second one is close to wherever Carol was? And that's why she and Kamala Khan have traded places. I was a little worried when it first happened. I was like, "Wait a minute, is this going to be a freaky Friday situation and Carol is going I thought to the same thing. and Carol mm-hmm. is going to have Kamala's voice?" Thankfully not. Um not that I don't I- enjoy that, but like at the same time like I've seen it enough that I don't need to see the MCU version of it. So I like this mystery of where did Carol just come from? Where did Kamala go? Um, Those places might be one and the same, but now, uh, you know, it it creates this thing of where now these characters have to meet. Uh, So I I just, I loved it. I thought it was super fun, super exciting. Also, really love Carol's new costume. So I I like that new look for Captain Marvel, like the new hairstyle. All of it looks cool, so I, I love this mid-credit scene and uh, that promise of Miss Marvel retur- will return in the Marvels. Just kind of cemented it, so it, loved it. And, you know, great, great little tag at the end of this awesome series.
1: Yeah, I I uh, have much to say about this other than I expected some kind of tie-in. A little did not expect what exactly happened, but uh, I talked about. I think the Bango could be a quantum band and.
0: I think there's a That felt very quantumy. Yeah, it did. It very much did. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious. New, new word, quantum-y.
1: Quantum, I like that. And and with quantum mania coming out, we could be uh, I, I I don't know if she'll lose the quantum band. Maybe she will. It will be it will be interesting if she does lose it. Will she just keep her in big powers and lose the power level? Who knows? I don't. I don't want her to lose her, her bango, bingo, by the way. But I'm curious if the quantum bands, if there's multiple quantum bands out there. I don't think there's only a few. I think there's only two, if I remember correctly, in the Marvel, the six, the regular six sixteen universe of the comic books. But could be wrong. Uh, I'm not super versed in the quasar uh, realm, but uh, either way. Uh, I think definitely Quasar uh, is in some version or another will be coming to the MCU. And I think these could be the introduction to them and the, and the uh, Marvels potentially.
0: I mean, how many different things are they on the cusp of like introducing here? It's just crazy. Uh, it is crazy. <laughs> so, It is crazy. But they're also like telling stories. They're not just teasing these things yeah. that they're about to, but there's just so <laughs> many uh, fascinating places that they could go. But I really think they did such a, a wonderful job with this series. And and I, and I know that obviously I had some criticism of, of episode five, but over the course of the entire series, I mean, that just pales in comparison to how great this series was for most of its run. And and I thought this was a, a really terrific, uh, just brilliant and, and sweet and touching finale that I, I enjoyed so much. And you know, I've watched it a few times and we'll certainly go back and, and watch it some more, especially those big superhero moments for Kamala Khan uh, that uh, I, I just loved so much. And and there's so much about this that was done so well and, and really captured the spirit of, them. we talked a little bit about how faithful certain adaptations have been in the MCU. And, and by and large, they've been incredibly faithful to the spirit of these characters and these stories. Um, but none more so, you know, inhuman, mutant, whatever, you know, no one more, uh, you know, I can't think of a more faithful adaptation to the spirit of a character in her story uh, than what they gave us with Kamala Khan in this Miss Marvel Disney Plus series. Uh, It was uh, it was magnificent and it it certainly lived up to uh, that that favorite word of uh, of Yusuf and and also Kamala's uh, great grandfather before him uh, to describe Aisha uh, it was magic, and uh, and I loved it. So uh, hats off to everybody who had anything to do with making this series uh, as great as it, as great as it was. And uh, the hats off, well, thank you to all of you who've listened to this spoiler review series. Obviously, we have a lot more coming up here on MCU fan show in the weeks to come. We'll find out what Marvel has to say at San Diego Comic Con this week and share our thoughts on that in the very next episode of this show. And then before you know it, we're going to be talking about She-Hulk and Black Panther Wakanda Forever and the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special uh, that will lead us uh, through the end of this year. But then also, oh man, uh, 2023 is obviously taking shape to be a very, very big year in the MCU. I mean, Every year feels big at this point, but 2023, uh, as, as you can see uh, with some of the things that have been teased and what we know is still on the way, um, yeah major things are going down for the MCU in 2023. Uh, I think we all feel pretty confident about that. And we look forward to being here uh, to discuss it. But that is it for this episode of MCU Fan Show. So remember to check out Fan Show Plus for more MCU talk uh, at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts. Just search for the MCU Fan Show channel or Fan Show Plus. Uh, Follow us in those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram and Twitter. Paul, where can they find you?
1: You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, aka P Thug. Also, please follow and subscribe to my channel, the uh, YouTube channel, The Comic Binge. Uh, This week we'll be doing a uh, Thor Love and Thunder uh, required reading episode. We we're, will we're, uh, we'll be covering the debut of Beta Ray Bill. And I'm very excited to do, do that with my one of my best friends in the world, David Valdez, a.k.a. The Father's Figures on Instagram, an amazing photographer of uh, toys. So um, can't wait to get him on there with my buddy Chris. And uh, yeah, a lot of fun. Check us out there.
0: And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.